be looking at verses uh, number 1 through 10 this morning. Now, uh, I remember a, uh, a Saturday Night Live uh, skit that, uh, that aired just a little bit after uh, Bill Clinton uh, took office. Now, if none of y'all know uh, who Bill Clinton was or what Saturday Night Live is, uh, hold on a second. This is going to sound real familiar because during uh, uh, Bill Clinton's campaign, uh, he went around making a lot of uh, uh, promises, and he was going to give us all a, a lot of things, and uh, he was going to take care of us. He was going to take care of our kids. He was going to take care of our mamas, and he was going to take care of our daddies, and we wouldn't have uh, nobody to worry about because uh, he was going to take care of it all if uh, he was elected president. And uh, this particular skit was a, uh, a press conference that... Uh, 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 the scene was a press conference, and there was all these people uh, dressed up as the, the reporters, and they were asking Bill Clinton uh, questions. And finally, there was like this, uh, this young, looked like a frat boy just out of college, raised up his hands, and he's all dra- uh, dressed all scratchily. And they finally called on him, the president did, to ask his question. And he stands up and says, where's my stuff? I want my stuff. You promised me stuff. Where is my stuff? And uh, a lot of times we can feel like that as Christians, and we read the promises of God and all the things that that we think that uh, He's going to do for us, and we come down and we accept Jesus Christ. And uh, a lot of times we find that many things in our life haven't changed. We still have the same struggles. We still have the same wants. We still have the same lackings in our life, and we cry out to God, where's my stuff? You promised me stuff. Where's the things that you promised me, God? The book of James tackles this question in, uh, in chapter 4, and he chases this question not only to uh, lack in what something God is not doing for us, but something that is lacking inside of us. And so this morning, if you feel like God is not doing enough for you, if you feel like somehow you're missing something in your relationship with Jesus Christ, the Scripture calls us this morning to examine our hearts and draw closer to Him. So let's look at the book of James chapter 4. We're beginning with verse number 1, and it says this. It says, What causes quarrels? And what causes this fight fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is intimate with God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says, He yearns jealously over the Spirit that He has made to dwell in us. But He gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hearts, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be, uh, be wretched and mourn 
and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, Lord, and how it guides us, Lord, and how it leads us in our, in our life. Lord, I just pray, Lord, as we spend, Lord, just these next few moments opening up your word, Lord, I pray that will open up our hearts. And Lord, we pray, Lord, that through the Holy Spirit, you will speak to us. And Lord, teach us to draw near to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. The book of James is kind of like a book of uh, Proverbs for the New Testament. It's one of the first um, books of Scripture that was written, and it was written to a group of believers. So everybody he talks about in this book, he's talking about believers. He's addressing this to believers, people who know Jesus Christ as their Savior, people who may be mature in their faith, but we find that these people who are Christians and these people who may be mature in their faith, they're experiencing some of the same problems that they experienced before they came to know Jesus Christ. In this particular sense, it's, they're having quarrels. They're having fights, even among themselves. And uh, apparently, uh, this church isn't like our church because we don't have no fighting and quarreling in our church you know, because uh, we, we are all mature in the faith, and we don't have none of these quarrelings or, or none of these fights. But, you know, those people over there, you know, they were having quarrels and fights, and even as Christians, and even as believers. And they were asking themselves the question, it's like, man, why do we still look so much like the world? Why do we still seem to have all these problems? Why do even in the midst of the church, even amongst believers, we can't all get along? And maybe they were even asking themselves other questions like, how come I'm not really experiencing the power of Christ that it talks about in the Scripture? How, why am I not experiencing the type of healing that you see uh, told about in Scriptures? How come I'm not seeing God move in my life the way that He's working in people around me? And so James wants to address that question. And he says, why are we still having quarrels? Why are there still having fights among you? And he says it very clearly. He says it very plainly. And he says this. It says, is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? In other words, what he's saying is the reason why there's so many controversies, why there's so many fights even among you, even while you still haven't really experienced all of what Christ wants to do in your heart, in your life, is because there remains a struggle. And the struggle exists not on the exterior, but rather in the interior, in your own heart. There is a war going on inside of you. Didn't you know that? That there's a war that goes on inside of you each and every day. You have two sides that are pulling against you. You have one side, the Spirit of God, who's trying to lead you to do what it is that Jesus would want you to do in your life. And then on the other side, we blame the devil. We say the devil is the one that's pulling on the other end of the rope, but really the person pulling on the other end of the rope is us. In our earthly desires and passions, in our desires for the things of the world, so it's our own flesh that is working against us in our relationship with Jesus Christ. He said you're still having quarrels and you're still having fights on the outside and amongst you because there's a fight that's going on within each and every one of you. 
in a lot of days, you're losing that fight. And I know in a lot of days, I lose that fight. I wake up with good intentions uh, to do what Jesus wants for me to do in my life. But then I run after some uh, other temptation or somebody comes along that's in a bad mood and they set me off and all of a sudden I done forget about Jesus and I've done got back into the flesh. Y'all ever been there? Or is it just a preacher that's all messed up? And he says, hey, there's a war going on inside of you. That's why there's so many wars on the outside of you. That's why even amongst believers, there is still so much strife and there's still so much quarreling because even with Christ in your life, there exists that war on the inside. And it comes down to this. And... um. Verse number two, it says, you desire and do not have, so you murder, you covet, you cannot obtain, so uh, you fight and quarrel, you do not have because you do not ask. And so he takes this quarreling amongst people and he chases it down to a material obsession that we want stuff, we want things, our hearts and our passions, we want more money, we want more stuff. We want more boats. We want more this, and we want that. And so we want those things, and so we covet after those things. So, you know, I want a, a there's something that I want, and uh, oh, brother Ronnie, he's got it. He's got his uh, a nice fishing boat. He has what I want, and I don't have one. And I look at Ronnie, I get mad at Ronnie because he has what I want, and I wonder why God loves him more than he does me. So now I'm hating Ronnie, and the reason why I'm hating Ronnie is because deep down inside, I want something that he has. And so those desires for earthly things, those desires for possessions, those desires for stuff causes quarrels in our hearts and our life. This person has a position that I want. This person has a responsibility that I want. This person has something that I want. And it causes the fights and the quarrels. And many people ask in the scripture, say, hey, when he says that you covet those things and you actually get to the point of your anger that you actually murder, people uh, uh, wonder, is was it really that bad there uh, for the church, were they really so quarrelsome and then were they really so angry with each other that they were actually literally killing one another? But it's those passions on the inside that causes us to dispute. And those passions on the inside really boil down for our desire for things, whether physical or things represented in pleasure. And so what he does, and he says, okay, you have these quarrels because you're coveting after things, because you want things, and you want those things, and you do not have those things, and you don't have those things because you're not asking for those things. And so now he talks about us in our life. He's saying, you're talking about us in our prayer life. He's saying, you don't have the things that you need in your life. You don't have what you want because you're not asking God for them. You're not praying and asking God for them. And he says, goes even further. And he says that even when you do pray, and even when you do ask those things for God, you ask them for the wrong reason, because you want to obtain them for your own selfish pleasure. 
and we treat God in our prayer like he's Santa Claus. God, I want this. God, I want that. And why do we want those things? Because we want to have them for them to provide pleasure and for them to find usefulness for ourselves. Our heart is not set on God, but rather our heart is set on us getting things for us. And notice what James has done here. He's taken this exterior problem, the problem of quarrels, and he's taken that problem and he's looked at it and he's dug down and he's dug down the root of the problem. He says, why are you quarreling? Because, you're got, uh, because of the war going on inside of you. Because you desire for things and you don't have them. And that's why you hate people. And you don't have them because you don't ask for them. And even when you ask for them, you don't get them. The Lord doesn't give them to them because you want them for your own selfish ambition. And then he finally clams out with a diagnosis. You adulterous people. He has traced this problem to the root. And the root of the problem is our heart. The heart is the measure of who we are. Because the condition of our heart will determine what spews out of our life. The condition of our heart will determine the way that we talk. The condition of our heart will determine our passions and desires. And the condition of our heart will determine why we want things and what motivates us in our lives. And he makes the assessment of these people, these people who are saying to God, God, where is my stuff? Where are my things? Where are all these promises that I've made to you? And he said, don't look at God. Look at yourself. Look at your heart because you are an adulterous people. Listen to what he says in verse 4 and 5. It says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is intimate to me with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself to be enemy of God. He wants us to know that there are two sides and two sides only to be taken in this world. Rather, either you take the Lord's side or you take the world's side. And you have to choose. You can't be in the middle. You can't go between the two. You can't work out a treaty where, hey, I can live at peace with both of those things. You can't make an arrangement when, hey, uh, this day I'm going to be friends with the world, and this day I'm going to be friends with Jesus. You have to pick with your side. And to understand this, if you are to make yourself a friend of the world, then you make yourself an enemy of Jesus. And if you make yourself an enemy of Jesus, you will find yourself being enemies with the world. He said, but you're adulterous. You can't make up your mind. You're living and trying to live on the fence. You want to have a relationship with God, but yet you want the things and the pleasures and the friendship with the world. And Jesus wants you to know this morning that that isn't going to cut it. And he says that you are adulterous. And what he's doing is here, he's describing what our relationship is with Jesus Christ. Our, Jesus, our relationship with Jesus Christ is like an, a marriage. It's exclusive. It is intimate. It is personal. 
And it's something that if you are in a relationship with Jesus Christ, he sits in a position that could put anyone else in that position and pretty much your adultery. You're having a side piece. You want to have a relationship with God, but then on the, on the weekends, I want to run around with the world. When I'm with my other friends, I want to run around with the world, but then my life gets in the bind, and I want to run back to Jesus. When it comes Sunday, I want to run back to Jesus. And James says, that ain't going to work. Because listen to what he says, the scripture tells us in verse number six. It says this. It says, um, in verse number five, it says, or do you suppose uh, there's no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell within us? In the spirit that he's making to dwell within us, he's not talking about the Holy Spirit living inside of us, but he's talking about the spirit that lives inside of you. We are all spirit, and yet we are all flesh. In the midst of uh, us, we are embodied, we have bodies, but inside our body is a spirit. And we know that one day this old body is going to pass away, but our spirit will remain and our spirit will go to be with Jesus until he comes back here upon this earth. And then we come, our spirits come back down and then we receive our new body. But the spirit is the essence of who we are. It's the eternal part of who we are. It's our very existence. And he says that God learns jealously for the spirit that is in you. In other words, he's saying that God is jealous about you. God is jealous for your soul. What does it mean to be jealous? A lot of people have a negative impression of what it means to be jealous. You know, a lot of people uh, will have a relationship with somebody, and, you know, they don't want that person uh, even talking to anybody else. Like, what are you looking at, huh? Who have you been talking to? And it's kind of like a suspicion and, and uh, a jealousy that's a suspicion. And that is not the definition of jealousy that he's working with here. But the true definition of jealousy is that being someone who responds to unfaithfulness. And what Jesus wants us to know this morning and what God wants us to know this morning is that he responds to our unfaithfulness. Don't you respond to unfaithfulness in your relationships? If uh, your husband or your spouse started with going with somebody else, you would respond to that faithfulness. Now, maybe your response would be, hey, come get him. He's all yours. But you would respond to that faithfulness. That would not be a workable relationship with you. You're not going to be their husband or their wife or their girlfriend or their boyfriend, and then you have something up on the side that you flirt with every once in a while. That's not going to work. And so you respond to that in jealousy. You respond to that unfaithfulness by saying, hey, that's not going to be a workable relationship. And so God responds to our unfaithfulness, but God also responds to our faithfulness. He responds to the way that we live 
exclusively in our relationship. And that's why he tells us in verse number six, he says this. It says, but he gives more grace. He gives more grace. Therefore, it says, be opposed. Uh, God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he must flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Uh, cleanse your hearts, you sinners. You purify your hearts, you double-minded. And he says, look, I want to teach you all a new way. I want you all to teach, teach you how this relationship God with God really works. You may think in your heart, hey, I can be friends with God and I can be friends with the world. And by doing so, that God would honor that. And by living that type of a relationship, then I would be entitled to and I would receive everything that God would, uh, would promise me. And, God, and James has set forth in letting us know that that type of relationship with God isn't going to work. So why am I you know, wanting and desiring things and not getting them? Why am I not experiencing the hope and the joy and the peace that Jesus has promised me in my life as a believer? It's because you have been trying to be friends with God and friends with the world. And so you have to put that idea outside of your mind and understand the new way of how God wants us to live in a relationship with us. And in verse 6, it says that he gives grace. And what he's saying here by saying that he gives grace, he's not only just talking about merely the gift of salvation, because they've all experienced salvation in their life. They've all accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. But in saying that he gives grace, he's defining grace in terms of gifts. In other words, he gives gifts. And so if there's anything that you want, if there's anything that you need, if there's anything that you lack in your life, it comes from God and he gives generously. And it reminds us of what he said in, uh, in chapter one about how all good things come down from the father of life and he is the giver of good gifts. And it reminds us of what uh, Paul taught us in 2 Corinthians 9.8, where it says that this, it says that God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having full sufficiency or having all sufficiency in all things, in all times, you may abound in every good work. In other words, Jesus, Jesus will give you all that you need. Jesus is the source of of everything that you need in your life. But if you're going to access that, if he's going to bring it into your life, if you're really going to experience the fullness of this relationship with God, then you have to live your relationship with God like this. And that is this, is that God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. We have to humble ourselves to God and we have to submit ourselves to his rule and authority in our life. And he says, submit yourself, therefore, to God and resist the devil, and he must flee. Isn't it something? Everybody talks Satan up like he's this big bad dude, but really all he can really do in our hearts and our life is just talk noise. He could just sit there and he can just try to talk you into doing, 
talking about how fun it would be and how much you need it. But all you have to do is tell him no, and he has no other power. When Satan's talking to you at night, speaking lies into your heart, all you got to do is tell him no, and he has to flee. So we actively resist the devil's working in our hearts, in our life. Resist the devil, and he must flee from you. But then more importantly, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. We have to take that active work of drawing our hearts and our lives towards God. It was all about our heart. We didn't have a heart towards God. That's what was causing the church and all their problems. Because they weren't actively drawing their hearts and their lives to God. We need to have a heart for God. We need to take on more of His character. We need to be more obedient to His Word. We need to ask God to come in our life and say, Hey, all I know about living is what the world has taught me. About selfishness, chasing after passions and greed and all that other stuff. God, I need to draw near to you and let you teach me. I need to draw near to you and see what your will is for me in my life. I need to draw near to you and see what you want to work through me. I want to draw near to you and become more like you each and every day. And if we draw near to God, then he draws near to us. And he brings his comfort. He brings his provision. He brings his grace. And he brings his peace in our life. God wants people who have a heart like his. Next Sunday, we're going to be starting a series in, uh, in 1 Samuel. Because 1 Samuel talks about moving people out. Moving people out whose hearts weren't towards God. And who had no thought or consideration for what God wanted. God was just the means to the ends of serving them. But through the book of 1 Samuel, he took those people out. And he brought people in who had a heart for him. And I pray it's a time for us that we will put our hearts away from that type of life. That type of life where God is just a means to the ends for us. And we move ourselves into being people who have a heart for God. And that we seek to draw near to Him, to us, and that He cleanses us of our sins, and He purifies most of all our double-mindedness of our seeking of warning God on some days, but yet warning the world on others. And so he says in um, verse number 9, he says, Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy 
to gloom. They were so lax about the sin and the way that they lived their life. They thought God was a joke. But James says, you know what? It's time to get serious about your sin. It's time to be discontent with the way that you're living your life. It's time to be discontent and say, you know what? It's not just enough for me to drag myself back and forth to church every Sunday, but I got to start living my life for you. I got to start having a heart for you. I got to start obeying your words in my life. We need to be discontent with the way that we live and seek after something more. And it requires us to do this. Humble ourselves before the Lord, and He will exalt you. When we humble ourselves, when we put ourselves submissively under God's care, under His rule in our life, then He will give us and provide for us everything that we need. But we don't desire to be under God's rule. We want to be under our own rule. We want to be able to have God when we need Him, and we want to be having the world when we want it. But James says, you know what? That's not going to work. If you truly want the abundant life that Jesus has promised you, you need to draw near to God, and you need to get your heart right with Him. So let's submit to Him. Let's be discontent with our sin and the way that we live and desire to be more like Jesus. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for this day that you've given us. Lord, and the time that we have to come and to worship you. Lord, I just pray, Lord, during this time as our heads are bowed, Lord, I pray our hearts are open and that we look at our life and ask ourselves, is our heart after you? Do we worship you and love you and obey you exclusively? Are we truly committed in faithfulness to you? Or do we want to have some type of relationship with you, but have all these side pieces and have all these other people that we run around with? Lord, I pray this morning we will confess our adultery in the way that we live and commit ourselves to live faithfully for you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's stand and sing hymn invitation. I pray the Lord.